Okay, by show of hands, how many of you have completed your Christmas shopping or close to it? Man, overachievers. Seriously. I will complete mine on December the 24th. If my family's lucky. This morning, we're beginning our new sermon series entitled The Light of Christmas. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 7 together. Isaiah chapter 9, we'll be reading verses 1 through 7 together. Let's read together. Read, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of it for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you are broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling, tramping warrior in battle, tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You and I at the moment of our salvation were given the light of Christ. And we have been called to let The light of Christ shine through us. We are the light of the world. Throughout the Bible, the theme of light and darkness are woven together. Beginning in the earliest pages of our of our Bible. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, we are introduced for the first time to light and darkness. We read, the earth was without void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The very first recorded spoken words of God occur one verse later. In Genesis chapter 1 3, we read, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. John, when describing Jesus, reaches back and there's such a similar parallel with Genesis chapter 1. And John 1 through 1, 1 through 5, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the light, life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus spoke of light in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 14, Jesus declared, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Paul in 2 Corinthians 6.14 speaks of light. He says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? He also 
also wrote in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You know, not many of us in this room have a true concept of what it means to live in real darkness. Sure, we have experienced occasional um, blackout or we have gone um, camping in the deep woods, but we don't truly understand what it means to live in utter darkness. There was a period of time within yesteryears that people didn't have the luxury of walking in the room and flipping the light switch and all darkness was banished away. But when Jesus Christ came, what Jesus did is he flipped the light switch and darkness was banished wherever he went. As we walk through this sermon series together over the next few weeks, my prayer for each and every one of us in this room is that we are appreciate the light of Christ more this Christmas than ever before. 2,000 years ago, the light of Christ burst into human history and came and dwelt among us. Let's celebrate the light of Christ this Christmas. Let's celebrate Jesus conquering darkness. Our message points this morning is this, light will always banish away darkness. Light will always banish away darkness darkness. Point number one is, is this. Notice the darkness of the people. The darkness of the people. In verses one and two, again we read, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. You know, Isaiah was the prophet of Judah during a very dark time in human history. He, um, the, the northern kingdom, had already been carried away into exile into the land of Babylon. The land of Judah was a land that was full of idolatry. It was full of wickedness. It was full of great darkness. And it was just a matter of time before it too would be carried into the land of exile, into the land of Babylonian. It was rich with, with, with sin is what the land of Israel was during this period of time. Isaiah, 700 years before the arrival of Jesus, wrote these words or prophesied these words in Isaiah 8.22. He says, And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. You know, you and I live in a pretty dark period within human history. But it's nothing compared to the land when Isaiah prophesied or even the land before Jesus arrived on this earth. The land that we live in, yes, is dark. Yes, there are atrocities that are occurring every single day. Atrocities against the church. Atrocities are being done toward the church and even atrocities within the church. Christians are being imprisoned. They are being killed in certain parts of this world. Churches are being destroyed. They're being burned. Their um, families are being ripped apart. Dark things are happening to the church today and across our land but there is something that you and I possess that the church 
did not possess some 2,700 years ago. We have the light of Christ that dwells within us. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, Paul wrote these words. For God, who said, light, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You and I possess the light of Christ within us, and we have been called by God the Father to let that light shine wherever we might go. I came across this illustration as I was preparing for this morning's sermon. At the 1989 World Congress on Evangelism, there was a testimony shared by a Chinese Christian. And he shared this testimony of a period in his life where he was thrust into the, the, the deepest of dungeons within a, a Chinese prison. He lived in total darkness, and he was isolated from all other people, all other human contact. The work that he was given was this. He was required to, to go down into the sewage um, pipes within um, this Chinese prison, and his job was to clean out those sewage pipes. Oftentimes, the sewage would be up to his knees, and he would be cleaning those sewages, or those sewers. And, and within the stench, he shared within his testimony that he would sing this song. He would sing, I come to the garden alone, where the dew is still on the roses, and the voice I hear Falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. When his captors realized that they were not going to defeat him, when they realized that they were never going to snuff out the brightness of the songs that he sung, they released him to go far and wide to share the testimony that the Lord had placed upon his heart. And, and the story goes and says that wherever he went, revival occurred and the lost were being saved. Yes, you and I live in a dark land today. Yes, much darkness surrounds us. But let us all be in agreement. Wherever we go, goes the light of Christ. The light of Christ goes wherever we go. This world can try and thrust us into utter darkness, try to banish us away to sewer pits. But where we go, the light of Christ goes as well. And when we have contact with other humans, so should they experience the light of Christ because the light of Christ is shining through us. Notice our second point. Notice the light for the people. In verse 2, again, we read, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. That's what Jesus has done, is he has shown his light down upon us, and through us as believers, his light shines. A little girl was practicing for her Christmas pageant. She had only one line, and that line was this, I am the light of the world. What she was to do in her Christmas pageant is she was to walk out onto the stage holding a candle, and she was to proclaim, I am the light of the world. 
And so this little girl was so excited about being in this pageant. And if you've ever been in a pageant before, especially as a little kid, man, you get pretty pumped up about that. And this little girl um, stood in front of her mirror Day after day, and she rehearsed that one line, I am the light of the world. And other, at times, she would emphasize a specific word within it. She would say, I am the light of the world. Or I am the light of the world. Or she would say, I am the light of the world. I mean, she would just practice over and over. And I think most of you realize where I'm going here. This little girl, it came pageant day. And, and she walks out on that stage, and the lights were shining on her, and she got stage fright. She just froze up like probably many of us in this room have done. She stands there holding that little light, and she just cannot speak. Her mom happened to be one of the directors of the play. And she, from the, from the, from the um, side of the stage, begins to whisper, I am the light of the world. And the little girl still didn't respond, so she said a little bit louder, I am the light of the world. The girl still didn't respond. And one more time, the mom says a little bit louder, I am the light of the world. And the little girl finally, with as loud as she could, she said, my mom is the light of the world. You know, you, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And subsequently, he has said of each one of us in this room that we too are the light of the world. Jesus came to banish away darkness. He came to destroy and defeat both sin and death. During this time of the year, people experience a lot of depression. You know, with the holidays comes depression, um, you know, Obviously, because of the loss of loved ones and the separation of family that occurs because of the miles in between. It's just a time of depression. But it's also a time of depression because of the, the, the longer periods of darkness. You know, with the time change, the, it, it gets light earlier and dark um, earlier. And, and because of that also comes depression. You know, I'm one of those guys that I actually like this time of year. Um, I like it whenever it gets dark earlier in the day. And the reason for that is because I like the lights of Christmas. You know, I like on the way home for lights to already be turned on and to be able to enjoy the lights of Christmas. But I will be the first one to tell you, come, come December the 26th, I'd be perfectly okay with it getting light earlier or later and and longer days. You know, there are places in our world where deep darkness occurs much of the winter months. Within many of those places also comes that deep depression. Jesus came into a world that was darkened by sin and death, and he brought light, he brought hope, and he brought joy. That is what Jesus does. He replaces sorrow with joy. Notice as we walk through the remainder of of these passages together, in in, in verse 6, we begin to see who Jesus is. We begin to see the names that, that Isaiah prophesied that Jesus would hold. And the first one is this, that Jesus is wonderful counselor. In verse 6, we see, for to us a child is born, 
to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor, the title literally means a wonder of a counselor. One writer wrote, the adjective wonderful refers to the actions that are beyond the bounds of human power and can also be translated as astonishing or amazing or extraordinary. In Judges 13, 18, the word is translated incomprehensible or beyond understanding. In Psalm 118.23, we read, The Lord has done this. It is marvelous in our eyes is what wonderful means here. Coupled with the word counselor, we see that Jesus gives profound counsel to people. Counselor in the Bible refers to an advisor or one who is the ideal ruler. Life is filled with decisions. Life is filled with details. Life is also filled with disasters and darkness. That's why we need a wonderful counselor. Jesus is our advocate. He is the only one able to mediate between us and God the Father. He came to bridge a gap between sinful man and a holy God. That's what Jesus did. Is he provides a bridge so that we, when we enter into a relationship with him, we can go from being sinful man and enter into the, 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 the um, presence of our holy God. When we place our faith and trust in Jesus, he reconciles us to God the Father, and he brings us into his throne room. Notice also that Jesus will be called Mighty God. When Jesus burst into human history and came and dwelt among us, when he took on flesh that day that he was born in that stable in Bethlehem, that is the day that, that when God burst into human history that, that with flesh he became our mighty God. Over the past many months, we have walked through the book of Matthew together. We have seen over and over and over God demonstrate, Jesus demonstrate his might. I mean, think about as we've walked through Matthew together, we have seen Jesus demonstrate his might and power over sin, over death, over disease, over salvation, over sickness, over nature. We have witnessed Jesus. Um, we have read where the lame walk, the blind see, the mute speak, the deaf hear, demons have been exercised. We've seen on two accounts where Jesus has taken a few fish and a few um, loaves of bread and multiplied those to feed thousands of people each time. This is the God we serve. He is a mighty God. Isaiah prophesied some 700 years before he came that he would do these mighty works. And that is exactly what we have read and studied throughout the book of Matthew together. That is exactly what we see from Genesis chapter 1 all the way to the closing pages of Revelation. We see the mighty work of God the Father. This is the Savior that we serve. He was 100% man when he came and dwelt upon amongst us, and he was also 100% God as he came and dwelt among us. He came and dwelt among us, and he eradicated darkness wherever he went. He has given us the authority to do the same. That is why you and I have been, been set apart and called out to be the light of the world. Notice also that Jesus is called Everlasting Father. You know, I don't know what your relationship is like with your earthly father. 
Some of you in this room, you have amazing relationships with your earthly father. Some of you have terrible relationships with your earthly father. The relationships that, that, that outside of an act of God, there's no way that reconciliation will occur. But I want you to know this morning, regardless of what your relationship is like with your earthly father, whether it's a good relationship or a bad relationship or a strained relationship or a distant relationship, you have a heavenly father that loves you. In John 1, 12, we read, Yet to all who received him and to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. When we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when we repent of our sins and cry out to Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, at that moment, we become a child of God. At that moment, Jesus becomes our heavenly father. Is Jesus your heavenly father this morning? If he is not, what is keeping you from repenting of your sins and crying out to Jesus to be your Lord and Savior? What's preventing you this morning from making Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life? He wants to be your heavenly father. He wants you to be his child. If you don't know him this morning, I invite you in just a few moments to turn your life over to him and cry out to him to be your everlasting father. Notice also that Jesus is called the prince of peace. Jesus is also the prince of peace. In 1865, poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote his famous poem, Christmas Bells. He wrote this poem the year that his wife died from a tragic accident. She had lit a candle and somehow that candle had, 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 had caught her dress on fire and she perished that day. It also occurred the same year that his son was tragically wounded in the Civil War. When he wrote the words of this song, you can sense the rawness of the emotions that burst through the pen as he wrote. He wrote, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet, the words repeat, a peace on earth, goodwill toward men. When you read that first stanza there, there, there isn't anything about that that would make you um, think that there had been any kind of tragedy that had occurred in his life. But one of the latter stanzas within this poem, you can sense the bitterness and, and, and the, the heartache that he is going through. We read, And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong. And mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Isn't that the way that, that, that many people feel right now? They ask them, themselves the question, where is peace? Where is the peace on earth? There is no peace. So how can I sing about peace? Somehow God brought Mr. Longfellow through this season of his life. And he was able to write the final stanza of this song. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, and peace on earth, goodwill toward men. 
This peace on earth, goodwill toward men. God wasn't necessarily talking about peace between two people or two nations. He was talking about peace with him. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And he provides the greatest peace any of us in this room could ever need. And that is peace with him. If you and I are not careful, we will go through life living unpeaceful lives. We will go through life at war within ourselves and at war with our fellow man. We will go through life with a chip on our shoulder, a bitterness toward those that have done us wrong. With Jesus, we are promised that peace will prevail. You know, I was talking with a friend this week. I met him for, for lunch. And we were talking about um, a season that he's going through in his life right now. There's much bitterness and heartache that he's experienced. And I shared with him a personal story with me where there was about two years of my life that I really lived with bitterness in my heart. And I, I, I strongly encouraged him not to go to that place where I lived. Don't live with bitterness is what I told him. Don't be bitter be better. All of us can learn from from those words. All of us can learn the importance of not being bitter people, but better people. If, If Jesus is the Lord of our lives, we have the Prince of Peace that dwells within us. And having the Prince of Peace dwell within us, we can know that we can live at peace with our fellow men. In closing this morning, notice our final point. It's this, the promise for the people. The promise for the people. Of the increase of his government, and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. I love the last sentence of this, of this, of, of this passage. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The Lord made it clear that he would fulfill that which he sets out to do. He gave these words of Isaiah chapter 9 to to Isaiah some 700 years before they were fulfilled. He said Jesus would come. And guess what? Jesus did Jesus did come, and he provided a way for darkness to be eradicated from our lives. And when we place our faith in Jesus, that darkness that comes as a result of a sin-filled life, that darkness and that sin is eradicated. And we read in the book of Psalms that Jesus will take our sin and he'll remove it as far as the east is from the west and he will remove it no more. Jesus will eradicate the darkness that dwells within us if we place our faith and trust in him. Isaiah said that Jesus would come and Jesus did come. And we are also promised in God's word that Jesus will return. We are promised also that one day every single one of us in this room will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And on that day, we will have to give an account for the things that we've done here on earth, whether good or bad. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, we read of this. We read, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due 
for what he has done in the body, whether good or bad, or good or evil. All of us will stand before Jesus one day. For those that have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, our reward will be eternal life. Our reward will be eternally we will get to dwell with Jesus Christ in heaven. For those that do not know Jesus, they will hear words such as, Depart from me, for I never knew you. And you will be cast, or they will be cast into utter darkness for all of eternity. If you are here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to invite you today to make the greatest decision that you could ever make, and that is to place your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. That is to repent of your sin and experience the light of Christ. The light of Christ, when we repent of our sins and place our faith and trust in him, the light of Christ comes and dwells within us. So if the light of Christ does not dwell in you today, What is keeping you from surrendering your life to Jesus Christ? What is keeping you from repenting of your sins this day? The Lord of hosts did defeat darkness. We know that. And he has provided within us a way also to defeat darkness internally as well as externally as we go into the dark places of this world and let the light of Christ shine through us. Let's be light bearers this Christmas. Let's let the light of Christ shine through in everything that we do over the course of this Christmas season. And it doesn't stop on December the 25th. It goes on December 26th, 27th, 28th, 365 days a year. The light of Christ that dwells within us as believers is to shine from us as well and illuminate wherever we go so that those that still live in darkness can be brought into the light when they repent of their sins and place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, in just a moment we're going to have a time of invitation. We're going to stand together. Our worship team is going to sing. And as they sing, I'm going to be standing here at the front. If you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you to come this morning. If you're here this morning and you've been visiting this church for a while and the Lord is leading you to come and make friendship your home, we invite you to come today and make Friendship Baptist Church your church home. Let's stand together and let's pray together. Father God, we come before you now. Lord Jesus, just thanking you for the, the promises that we read in your word. Father, we thank you for Isaiah chapter 9. We thank you for verse, all of the verses, Father, but we thank you for verse 7 where we read, the Lord of hosts, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Isaiah made it clear to everyone that opened up the scroll of Isaiah from the moment it was penned up until the moment of your arrival that you would come and you did come and you burst into human history and you provided a way, Lord Jesus, for all of us to enter into a relationship with you. And Father, if there is someone here this morning that has not done that, that has not repented of their sins and cried out to you to be their Savior and Lord, I pray this morning that they will make the greatest decision that they could ever make. 
Father, there may be some here this morning that's been visiting this church for a while. And Lord, and today is the day that you're leading them to make this their church home. And Father, if that be the case, we want to celebrate with their decision. Father, just move now during this time of invitation. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.